Welcome to the drdavidmarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr. David Marlin, and along with a great team of experts, I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts, we will discuss science-led research, technology, information, and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier, and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com, and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and welcome to another Dr. David Marlin podcast. Today we have a very special guest with us, Bryony Witherow, who is a registered nutritionist and lecturer at Rittle College. Bryony has extensive uh, background and knowledge in the role of toys and feeding equipment with horses. So we've invited her on today to tell us a little bit more about that. But please, Bryony, tell us um, a little bit about yourself so our audience um, understand who they're listening to. Hi, thank you. Um, sure. Um, so um, by training, um, so obviously prior to um, being involved in the uh, equine feed industry, um, I did an undergraduate degree and then a, a postgraduate master's degree. Um, and then in the early part of my career, um, I spent working at feed companies and manufacturers um, before moving into academia. Um, alongside uh, my own nutrition consultancy. Um, within that time, um, I've become a registered nutritionist, which just essentially recognises um, that I've got a, a significant period of experience um, within the field of equine nutrition. So it's just to kind of recognise uh, that level of kind of competency and experience. Um, so I've also got my own horses, um, and you'll kind of notice that that, that that um, kind of practical application is really, really important to me when it comes to the research side of things as well. Um, and I think that 
having my own horses, which both of which incidentally are, are good doers, which again, I think informs to a certain extent kind of where my interests lie when it comes to nutrition. Um, and also obviously um, having my, my hand in practically with my nutrition consultancy means that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm seeing horse owners um, regularly and I do have a good appreciation for some of the challenges um, that, that they're facing um, and, and some of the, also some of the very cool uh, inventive ideas that they come up with. Um, you know, a lot of these things that we end up researching don't start with the researcher themselves. They often start uh, with the horse owners um, and what they're out there doing. Um, and I think that's that's something that I like to to, to really um, kind of make a clear kind of key theme um, that runs through everything that I do, um, teaching wise, research wise, um, uh, and and with with my own horses. Um, and I think what we're kind of talking about today in terms of enrichment and and this idea of horse toys, and um, there's so much creativity involved with that as a as a kind of area. Um, which is really needed because each horse is an individual. So while we will talk about kind of what we found in terms of trends and, and things that we've looked at uh, in research, uh, it is important to kind of note that there are certainly uh, individual elements of that. Uh, while many horses might uh, engage with, with one particular part or type of enrichment, um, others, others might not. So uh, do, do bear that in mind uh, throughout our conversation. Um, but, but yeah, uh, my main interest it, from the research side of things um, currently um, are looking into uh, slow feeders, um, enrichment. Obviously, I'm not a behaviorist by training. I am a nutritionist by training. Um, and while I have a good appreciation for feeding behavior, you have to as part of the job. Um, my interests and my research very much lies fundamentally in that kind of nutrition sphere, but obviously dips into feeding behavior. You can't really help it um uh, around the edges um so yeah um i can uh tell you a little bit about what i'm currently researching and, and maybe a little bit about what what um we've looked at previously um and i say when when i'm using the word we um a lot of the pilot studies that um we might discuss today are really talking about those which uh, students have undertaken at university college um supervised by myself um, so we are looking still at the very pilot stage, but um, I think as we've already kind of uh, mentioned, there's not a lot of research into these um, particular areas. So um, there's lots still to do and lots still to, to find out. Um, Brilliant. And when we're talking about uh, horse toys or horse uh, equipment and feeding, what sort of thing are we are we thinking about here? Is it the, the horse balls and, and lickets or is there more to it than that? Gosh, I mean, it's such a wide category and I think it's most useful if we start by thinking of enrichment. And I'm going to probably use that term rather than toys. We will kind of come mm -hmm. on to the things that we specifically think more about as toys. But when we think about basic enrichment, I think we should always be starting off with the fundamental requirements of the horse and how we can actually better those areas before we start introducing things that maybe are perceived as maybe less natural if you like or, or things that that we are having to um, introduce into the environment because we can't optimize it um, to, to what for example a kind of free roaming horse might like and I think a lot of the times we have to come back to um, what is realistic for us as horse owners? Yes, I'm sure every horse would be, you know, um, we tick a few more boxes in terms of welfare 
if we could keep them uh, more extensively um, and maybe you know more more out and, and less inside a stable. But the practicalities for most of us is that you know we are in the situation we're in, whether that's our delivery yard um, or kept privately. Um, and very much we've got to deal with the facilities that we've got, the time we've got, and, and the horses. Um, and so we're often dealing with a kind of non-ideal situation if we're kind of looking at it within the context of what is natural, maybe, for, for the horse. So I think it, it's best to start, um, and this is the approach they take in, in many kind of captive uh, kind of zoo animals as well, um, is we actually look at the environment and we think, okay, what can we do? What are the kind of basics of that environment that we could improve um, to encourage more natural behaviours? And I think for me, that's the kind of very nuts and bolts of, of enrichment. Um, and that might start with things like actually selecting the most appropriate forage you can for your horse. So it might be you've got a good doer and you're going to maybe have the hay analysed or speak to your producer about getting a later cut or a more mature hay simply so you can provide more, more of it for your horse so that he, he has um, uh, adequate amounts of fibre available and that in itself it sounds very basic and it doesn't sound particularly fun or what we would uh, you know consider a toy but but that in itself for, for the horse is is a in its most basic sense um you know the real starting point of, of enrichment um, and the same goes for you know remember the kind of uh, friends forage freedom you know the, the three f's you're you kind of nuts and bolts if we can in some way optimize those elements as a starting point our need for the kind of toys and, and those areas of things are, are naturally going to lessen as a result it doesn't mean we don't have to use them we can still use them um, and with some horses that will still add even more enrichment but with many actually if we can get those foundational points right um, we can in some ways re reduce our requirement um, for increased creativity when it comes to enrichment so for me it starts off with with those basics um, and hopefully selecting the the if we can and again I appreciate not all horse owners have the ability to choose the hay or haylage you've you've got what you've got on your yard so there might be an element of then well how can we manipulate that whether it be soaking your hay again so you can provide more of it and it's going to occupy more of that horse's time when stabled or it might be that you look at slow feeders so we can't you know we can't maybe um procure uh, the most suitable hay or hayley for our horse but we can make it last longer um, and and those again are kind of nice ways which we wouldn't always think of as enrichment but actually in the very fundamental sense of occupying the more of the horse's time doing what he is designed to do which he's got that physiological and psychological need to chew um, that is fulfilling um, some of that and we could then extend that slightly to maybe um, providing a range of different forages for our horses to, to have. Um, and this can be in a very basic sense um, in terms of, let's say we can't find an appropriate hay or haylage or we're at a livery yard, we've got what we've got. Maybe it's, it's too um, uh, nutritious for our particular horse or pony. We could um, provide a proportion of that hay ration as straw and mix it in with our hay or haylage. Um, and that's what some of the research that uh, we've been doing most recently has looked into can we actually use straw to not only reduce the nutritional 
overall nutritional value of the forage ration but does it extend feeding time um, does it actually encourage more natural behaviors um, and the early indications of the the trial that's just finished um, uh, undertaken with a student Nadine Mostert um, last year um, was that we didn't get any significant results at this stage and it's important to say that that, that doesn't mean there's nothing to take from it I think there was what we call biological significance in the findings that, that we looked at. Um, and just to give you a brief overview of the trial, we looked at uh, two different diets. Uh, we looked at 100% haylage and then 50% haylage and 50% oat straw. Um, so horses uh, had both of these um, on a, a, a crossover, so they experienced both of these rations. Um, and we looked at a few different measurements um, to compare across those different rations. We looked at consumption time, so how much mm -hmm. they consumed over a period of time. We looked at number of bowel movements, so how many piles of poo, if you like, they produced over a set period of time. Um, yes, we also looked at chew rate, so chew frequency how many times they would chew in a set period of time. Um, and we also looked at body weight, although it's important to say with body weight, it was a shorter trial. So we wouldn't expect to see a significant difference over, over that period of time. Um, but what we did find, although there weren't significant differences, we did see some trends. Um, and those trends might show what we call biological significance. So things that, that actually in the real world, practically may make um, a difference to the horse. Um, and the the kind of biggest thing to point out was that on the straw ration, there was an extension in that consumption time. So he, they spent longer consuming the ration. So it occupied more of the horse's time. And we're not really sure yet what the mechanism for that was. It could have been down to the, um, the fact that straw was slightly less palatable. So they spent longer trying to kind of probably sift through and find the more palatable um, haylage. Um, um, that may, meant that they spent longer consuming uh, the ration. It could just simply be because of the novelty of the straw. So again, because it was quite novel to them, um, a different smell, obviously we've mentioned palatability, that again, they spent more time doing those kind of foraging and sorting behaviors. But regardless to what the mechanism behind the longer consumption time was, what we can still see is, is potentially beneficial to the horse. It occupied them for longer. It meant they were performing more of those natural behaviors like foraging behaviors. Um, and so there's lots that, um, uh, that, this is very early days and there've not been huge numbers of studies done on straw. I think largely horse owners, when you mention straw, are a little bit um, hesitant because straw, I think in our minds, we're thinking colic, we're, yeah. we're we're worried <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. about feeding it and i think if you do look at the research actually the, the number of um studies which actually look at increased risk of colic with straw it are, are relatively few um and the the typical kind of things that, that increase the risk in those scenarios are poor dentition as you can imagine if the teeth aren't good um we're going to potentially see issues with uh, with uh, digesting that straw if it's a larger particle size and also when we don't introduce it slowly and like all things we know the horse needs a nice gradual introduction um, when it comes to different feeds so there's been a couple of um, larger um, uh, published studies which have looked at the use of straw 
uh, Janssen uh, and, and Dosi, which are in the last few years. And they've actually looked at, can we feed more straw? So we used to, as nutritionists, think a maximum of about 30% of the forage ration could be straw. Now we're actually thinking we can do 50% and safely, um, if introduced gradually. Um, and those two previous studies also looked at whether there was any um, association with gastric ulcers um, and feeding more straw. Again, that's something that has been mentioned, and, and I'm sure horse owners will be thinking when I mention straw, oh, is that going to cause me more problems? Um, but again, in those two trials, they weren't uh, especially uh, longitudinal in, in length. Um, I think one was three and one was four weeks, but they didn't see an increased incidence of uh, gastric ulceration um, through the use of straw. So I think that can give some owners a little bit of um, confidence with uh, feeding straw. And also it's it's nice to think as, as an owner of two good doers that you've got options which not only might help to reduce the, the, the kind of nutritional value, so reduce the calories going in, but actually might have other benefits in terms of enrichment um, and behaviour. Um, so, so that's something that hopefully we'll, we'll start to see more of in the research. And certainly we've got plans to do uh, more research involving that. But that, again, is something I would consider in those kind of basic stages of enrichment. So we, we've got kind of selection of appropriate forage. We're trying to make sure that the environment is as suitable as possible. Um, then we move on to our slow feeders and, and maybe the introduction of other forage types. Um, and besides using straw alongside hail haylage for a good doer, we've also seen studies which look at using multiple forage types just as a, a means of enrichment. Um, so have why not just instead of just having hay, have part of your uh, forage ration as hay, part as haylage, maybe part as uh, some soaked um, beet of some sort, part as some short chopped chaff. Um, and these again have shown um, that when horses are provided with multiple forages, um, that it helps to encourage more of those natural foraging behaviours. Um, also, we've seen other studies which have looked at providing multiple forage stations, even within the stable. So a hay nut in that corner, hay nut in the other corner, um, some hay on the floor in another part of the stable, can also help to increase the amount of time the forage occupies them. So while absolutely there are some more, much more uh, fun and exciting things we can consider, or certainly from our perception, things that seem much more uh, exciting uh, in terms of toy uh, kind of connotations, actually some of the really basic stuff we can do, which a lot of the time is, you know, at very minimal cost, um, is, is actually really effective. Um, so that idea of the, the kind of getting that basic enrichment, um, you know, from the, from the start and then using these other things as kind of cherries on top, if you like, rather than um, a replacement for, for getting some of those basics right. And for sure, I mean, we've all seen our horses exhibit that behaviour with their tip of their muzzle literally you know sifting through the hay to find their favorite bits sifting through their food to find their favorite bits and mm. I, I would imagine that even if your horse is you're feeding your horse a mixture of straw and hay or hay and haylage or what or what probably good doers you know looking for the haylage they're going mm. even if they eat all that bit first and then go back the fact that they're sifting through looking through is elongating the feeding time and more like you say more natural behavior mm. um it, it 
it's all positive short you know I would imagine particularly coming into this time of year we're keeping our horses in for longer or the bad weather we're currently experiencing and you might mm. think you know I'm going to keep the horse in today making it into something that they can enjoy and make the most of and I think you've called it you referenced it before as a buffet of yes. forage which I love <laughs> that idea of the fact you know anybody who been to a large buffet or had kids at a buffet they all walk along and pick their favorite bits whilst their parents stand behind them and tell them to put some vegetables on the plate and what have <laughs> you and it's surely the same for for our horses they may eat the haylage in the first half an hour but at least then they've got things to keep them going for a bit longer and even if they're just sifting through it looking for it that's such a positive message I think for any horse mm. owner to take away regardless of you know how, how careful you have to be with what you're feeding your horse so that's fantastic sure. and the um research that you're referencing and, and talking about are is that mm. based predominantly in the UK or is some of those research studies being done more internationally with different types of feed because I know I mean often when we've funnily enough just put a guide up onto the website um from Dave Davis about a buying guide and what he says to look for when you're looking for hay and how to select good forage um but you know we've got ryegrass we're quite lucky in the UK to have a selection of different types of hay to to choose mm. from so um for sure yeah and um, so um many of the studies that have been done have been done in the UK um some have been done um in uh, uh kind of Norway um and other European countries um obviously when we're talking about forage particularly if we're talking about um the, the US, for example, um, actually some of the, the, the properties change a little bit nutritionally. So we would have to be a little bit careful um, if we're interpreting things like starch and sugars, for example, um, yes. on an American study versus um, a UK study. But and also, like you say, the availability of certain forages will be different in the UK versus um, other other countries. So, yeah, and, and I think we are quite lucky in the UK. We do have quite a lot of specialist producers um that that we can that you know you can actually have a conversation as a horse owner to get that information that you need from a supplier particularly if you're doing what we mentioned that is the kind of very fundamentals which is trying to um select a, the most appropriate forage for your horse which is sometimes you know it's much easier for us as horse owners to go out and buy a different bag of feed that's often in our control but it's those forage decisions which often have the biggest knock-on effect to um, our, our welfare in terms of labour, in terms of soaking, um, that sort of type of thing, um, but also our horses' um, welfare um, and health um, in terms of actually being able to, to find something that's suitable. Um, if The more suitable we can start off with, hopefully the less um, manipulation we'll have to do, whether that be you know soaking um, and or steaming, um, or reducing or restricting the ration significantly just to deal with the fact that the, the forage is, is not ideal as, as a starting point. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. 
BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And if I can ask you in your, you know, if your role as equine nutritionist, um, mm. we're obviously it's drummed into us about not to just change our horse's seed and, you know, everything is gradual and, and relaxed and to make sure your horses get used to them. With the different types of forage that you're introducing to a horse, does that help that process? Is your horse then more um, used to having different types of hay and hay lidge and forage? Or is it still a problem if you suddenly went to another yard and you're suddenly forced to feed something different? Or how, how does your, I suppose, it individual, is it? I don't know. To, to a certain extent, um, we know that certain horses are much more sensitive digestively than others, and that could all be down to the microbiome. We're, we're still learning in, in that area. I'm very cautious to um, to be too uh, definitive when it comes to things regarding sure. that area, just because we, we still are learning very much, and we're still learning in a human uh, and nutrition and, and physiology about the microbiome. So we, we're not quite there yet. Um, with the equine we are learning much more um, but there definitely do seem to be individual differences which maybe govern the sensitivity level if you like when it comes to changing different forages but this idea um, and I think we're starting to learn this um, in, in not just within equine but just more broadly within nutrition of diversity in the diet and actually the more diverse the food types are that you are consuming the more uh, your, your microbiome is going to be reflective of that. Um, so it would follow logically that actually we might be doing our horse another favour by setting him up essentially, you know, with that more diverse microbiome to be a little bit more dynamic in how, how he might react to, to subsequent diet changes. There's not been anything concrete on that to my knowledge, but that from what we know already, it might follow that, that it, that might not be a bad thing to have certain uh you know a broader range of grass species forage types within the ration as they would be for the free roaming horse and i think that's what we've got to come back to is um yes we're keeping them in a domesticated environment which is obviously very different to, to maybe what they've evolved um to 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 live with horses you know roaming free would you know consume a huge range of different browse and different forages and again, I, I guess part of our trying to enrich the environment is maybe trying to mimic that in a way um, and, and potentially not only from a behavioural enrichment side, there might be a physiological benefit in the microbiome um, to that that particular management. So, yeah, yeah no, I, I could definitely see that. Yeah, it's very. And that's where my question kind of came from when you were talking about reflecting the fact that horses would roam free and pick their forage as they mm. travelled. Um, that makes perfect sense. So thinking about um, horses that have got um, potential uh, digestive problems or, you know, laminitis, for example, Cushing's and things like that. Um, 
are there any sort of parameters that you have to be particularly careful about when you're thinking about these sorts of different applications that you can apply or would the same rules apply to, to what you're trying to do? In terms of enrichment, basic enrichment? Yeah. 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 So I think, I think it's even more important for those guys with clinical issues, particularly if they're good doers as well, because there's a higher chance that we're probably restricting their ration or maybe they'll be instabled more often or in a kind of a bare paddock more often um, just because we're, we're trying to obviously manage the, the ration. So um, from a um, forage point of view, if we're thinking of um, PPID, so your, your, your Cushing's, um, EMS, laminitis, any clinical issue where we're trying to keep the um, water-soluble carbohydrate or, or sugars um, or non-structural carbohydrates, which encompasses your starch and your sugars, low, um, then, as we've mentioned, the starting point is very important, making sure you've got an appropriate um, hay or haylage. Sometimes haylage can be appropriate in those scenarios. And I really would, if it's possible and you know you've got enough um, of a particular batch of hay or haylage to, to justify it cost-wise, actually analyse the, the hay or haylage that you've got because it, it represents such a large proportion of the diet. And for those guys where we're, we're trying to potentially control calories and also um, your, your sugar intake, to keep things simple um, uh, kind of from that point of view, um, it, in knowing what you're starting with essentially informs everything else you, you do. So I appreciate for, for everyone, it might be that you're on a yard and, and they've only got a couple of bales in at a time. And, you know, each time we get new bales, they're different. Then it's really hard to justify uh, forage analysis in those situations. But if you do have a little bit more control or a little bit more knowledge, yes, we're getting more delivered, but it is actually coming from the same batch in the shed of that uh, producer or supplier. Um, th then I, I really would recommend that as a starting point. Um, it can be costly. But actually, if that's a kind of one cost per season, if you like, per, per hay stock or haylage stock, I think it's definitely worthwhile doing. And it may well, well, it certainly should inform then whether you need to soak for how long you might be soaking for and also to what extent you might need to restrict the ration. In terms of if there's anything else that you might want to uh, avoid or be a little bit careful with for those with clinical issues, uh, I mean, straw could be applied for, for all of those three that we've mentioned that, that need that low sugar ration. It could certainly be appropriate. Um, hygiene of straw can sometimes be an issue. So you, you may well need to be applying the same management you would to hay. So either soaking for, for a shorter period, if it is just the um, respirable particles we're trying to control, um, or longer periods if we're trying to um, uh, you know, in the case of hay, trying to reduce the um, soluble carbohydrate content as well, or you might choose to steam it. So that area might need some attention. The other thing to probably be aware of for, for all horses, really, is when we introduce things, particularly like slow feeders, what we don't want to do inadvertently is either um, cause them to not consume hay for a long period of time or, or forage just generally because maybe they don't know how to use that particular slow feeder um, and as a byproduct of that cause a huge amount of stress and frustration so with any of these um, enrichment types but particularly with those with clinical issues um, that may also have a level of physiological stress as a kind of baseline if, if we're, we're dealing with those in the acute stages um, 
make sure that they're introduced gradually. I would always recommend that you supervise the initial use of a, of a slow feeder just to check that the horse is able to use it. And I would generally recommend as a long-term strategy, actually providing hay in, in a couple of different um, presentations so that if there is frustration with one uh, feeder, if you like, there's the option to move to other um, kind of feed stations um, within the stable. I would usually provide a very small amount free choice so just on the floor maybe some in a in a slow feeder net or a standard net maybe some in a hay ball um, or a floor kind of slow feeder just to not only provide further enrichment we've already mentioned how multiple stations can enhance or, or extend chewing time further we can helpfully help to reduce the stress and frustration if there is that um, element um, particularly with the more challenging slow feeders um, but also, we are encouraging them to then have different postures and positions, um, you know, musculoskeletally, um, maybe there are benefits to that. And we've certainly seen that in a few student studies. Um, there was one uh, back in 2019 um, where the student actually looked at different slow feeders um, and looked at muscle activity um, whilst they were uh, using those slow feeders. And they did find that any slow feeder or any hay feeder, haylage feeder that provides forage in a fixed position, so a net for example, does seem to create more um, asymmetric muscle activity than something that is perhaps on the floor or a movable thing like a, a hay ball for example, which uh, seems to actually encourage more symmetrical activity, which obviously if we're looking from a practical point of view, um, we, we want to be doing, you know, um, everything we can in our management of our horses that's not going to, that's hopefully going to complement what we're doing ridden wise. So any um, asymmetry um, in muscle activity, particularly over a long period of time, may well start to be evident um, within other areas um, of our horses ridden uh, or working working life as well. So yes, those elements would be important. Um, and I would say, particularly if we're looking at ulcers. So I think we often associate gastric ulcers with skinny, the poorer doers, if you like. Um, but actually, very common also in, in better doers as well. And in those cases, you've got that difficult situation where you may have to restrict the ration, but you also don't want them to be long periods without forage either. Um, and in those cases, slow feeders can be really useful. But we also don't want to create a huge amount of stress and frustration that may, again, um, potentially, um, uh, you know, uh, add on to, to any um, causative factors of, of the uh, ulceration in the first place. So, um, it, again, with them, we look and make sure that we're observing them with these feeders and, and maybe providing a range of opportunities. And remember, with a lot of these slow feeders, there's adaptations you can make to vary the challenge level. It might be if anyone's ever used a, a very small hold hay net, like a greedy feeder or a trickle net, um, the, the emptier they get, the harder it gets for the horse. So you might decide to, to kind of choose a smaller version so you can have it fuller, so it's easier. Um, likewise, the, the, the hay balls can be similar. And you also find that the type of hay or haylage you use, um, how stalky it is, also makes a difference to the challenge level. So a little bit of an appreciation for um, the, the the differences in challenge level for these different um, slow feeders can also be really useful. Um, and that's something we 
have looked at a little bit and, and want to look at further, because often these slow feeders don't come with instructions of how to habituate your horse or how to you know get them used to using it or if they don't take to it how can we make it easier for them to try and get them to use it and i think some of that practical information for most horse owners is is it would be really valuable i th uh, yeah that's a really good point actually um sometimes with these sorts of products you just see them on the shelf in the tack shop and think well that would be a good idea <laughs> or oh you know you, you suddenly think in your horse has an injury for example and he's going to be in for the next six weeks what can i do online buy that that will help and the often there's very little that comes comes with it um maybe that's something we should uh, talk about on the marlin platform and see if we can for get sure some, um, helpful instructions for people <laughs> um one thing that uh, strikes me and um it was something i had read on one of our social channels when we had mentioned um who uses horse toys on mm. david's main facebook page was a few people's concerns about frustration and the worry that they have of what that might cause um, and I would imagine this is a very tricky one to research or look into, but um, I did want to ask you about it and your thoughts from what you've seen through the many research studies around the frustration with these sorts of um, products. For sure, yeah, and and a few of our student pilot trials that, that have looked into this have actually looked at behaviour as one of their measurements. Um, and there have also been a, a number of published papers which have looked at, at behaviour uh, with these slow feeders. And frustration does seem to be um, a, a particular problem. Um, and some horses very much more than others. Um, and that may be linked, I think, with one of the studies, um, probably unsurprisingly, um, smaller ponies were finding they were less frustrated than the larger horses and I suppose the size of the muzzle in um in the context of the size of the the mesh or the hole within a hay ball for example obviously is going to to govern to some extent how hard they're finding it um I think in a lot of cases we saw that the longer um the habituation period so the the time in which a horse is allowed to kind of get used to a product the less frustration we saw I think anecdotally, and this hasn't been studied, if we could have a little bit more um, of a, a kind of instruction, if you like, on how we introduce these things. So what's the easiest setting, if you like, or setup for that product, then gradually kind of progressing to the more challenging um, kind of setups. I think that would help. I think you find potentially the so you know the period over which you introduce it is really important and I think the way you introduce it is likely important we, we've seen the period over which you introduce it certainly in the pilot studies that that we've done at Rittle that seems to have a bearing so the, the longer period that we was kind of habituating the horses over the less frustration we saw included in that the longer so not even looking at kind of habituation prior to to a trial but during the trial the longer the trial kind of um, progressed so this trial that we did was was three weeks long we were seeing observing more frustration behaviors in the initial weeks than we saw say at day 21 so there is an element and, and i think we see this with all slow feeders as well kind of as a, a broader point um that they can actually be it's like grazing muzzles they can be really effective from in terms of reducing consumption rate to start with as the horse is finding it a lot more difficult 
And as the horse starts to learn how to use this particular feeder, um, because the, the value um, of it as um, in terms of reducing consumption rates starts to dwindle slightly. Um, but with that, we tend to see less frustration behaviours. So I guess it's trying to get a kind of happy medium balance between having that value in it, it occupies makes our hay or haylage occupy our horse for longer um, as a slow feeder but not being so very challenging that we either get our horse refusing to eat which obviously we've got other other uh, issues in terms of you know colic ulcers etc worries with that um and potentially um you know either not eating at all or, or just getting very frustrated which is obviously something we want to avoid because that is going to to cause stress um and i think it's important to to kind of think about what we were trying to achieve in the first place we were trying to enrich the environment to reduce stress levels so i think it's it's got to come back to that and i would say for me that's why i would start at the kind of very basics end of fundamental enriching of the environment forage choice multiple different um, forage options if you can um or, or cutting the ration with straw potentially for the better doers um that end of things as we've seen so far seems to um because we're not so um we're not looking at restricting or slowing consumption quite so much at this end of things um seems to end up with with less of those frustration behaviors but i've definitely seen and again we've not looked at this idea of providing multiple different types of feeders to reduce frustration but anecdotally what i've seen as a, as a nutritionist is if we can do that that does tend to reduce frustration just simply because the horse isn't stuck with the hay in the tiny hole hay net or nothing at all um you know there's there's options um and the idea behind the the small amount of free choice on the floor is if you have got a horse that is coming in hungry and, and for a lot of these horses on restricted rations and unfortunately that that is sometimes the case then they have the opportunity to consume kind of freely um that small uh quantity and and then we tend to again anecdotally see less less uh frustration behavior subsequently when when using the slow slow feeders so that is something that still requires some some research and, and as i mentioned at the start there is just so much that that we haven't researched yet within this area um but I, I think there's a lot of really practical things that make logical sense that as horse owners, we can think, okay, we can employ those to reduce the risk of frustration. And again, I would say that it's really important to observe your horses using these feeders because then you can pick up on those subtleties, those subtle signs of, of frustration and, and stress as well. And like we've said, each horse will be, can be different. And uh, yeah, I've got a little 11-2 Welsh A who has a very strong motivation. Nothing will put him off, even if it's quite challenging. He's in there, whereas my horse, oh no, too difficult. I'll just stand here instead. You know, so there is, you know, there are fundamental kind of differences in the horses you're starting off with, which is going to, to a large extent, um, govern what is available to you um, when it comes to enrichment and, and slow feeders. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, I can tell, obviously, there's so much more to learn. Um, you've obviously spent, um, gone through a lot of research with yourself and with your students on all the sort of different applications and, and 
interesting ways to make these sorts of different scenarios work for different types of horses. Um, I'm pleased to say we've got you booked in for a webinar, haven't we? Um, for anybody that's interested on Thursday, the 7th of December on the Dr. David Marlin platform. Um, so I'm sure I'll have a few more questions for then. <laughs> and no doubt our members will be um, thinking of their questions to, to ask you. So um, I look forward to that. So thank you very much for your time today, Bryony. And um, I look forward to seeing you again in a few weeks time. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Stable Science series. If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The drdavidmarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.